Open innovation is transparent. You're sharing challenges. You're sharing opportunities. And you're really looking for um, that kind of handshake, that partnership uh, with outside centers of excellence. Let's call them centers of excellence. In today's episode, we sit down with Richard Hagee, a self-described reform banker and founder and CEO of H Catalyst. We dig into the evolution of how corporations view and engage with startups through accelerators and open innovation platforms and discuss why now may be an excellent time to partner with a large corporation. Welcome to Beyond Innovation, a series that breaks down the mystique, explores what works, what doesn't, and what innovation really means with experts who live it every day. Hi, Richard. Welcome. I'm super excited to have you on today. This is going to be a, a really interesting conversation with somebody coming from a very different background from the rest of the guests that we've had so far. So I can't wait to get into this. So our guest today is Richard Hagee. He's the founder of H Catalyst, which is based out of London. He comes out of the banking world, which is not where we sort of think about traditional innovation spaces, but he's got a really interesting story, a really interesting background, and I cannot wait to dig into this. So let's just start with getting a little background from you on, on kind of where you started, what you've been through, and where, and where you are today. Yeah, definitely. So great to be here, Justin. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having a finance guy on such a <laughs> such an influential uh, kind of podcast. It's uh, I feel very honoured, and also as a first Brit, I hope I I hope I do. You are not the first Brit. Oh, you are the second Brit. Well, um, I hope so I, I live up, I hope will, I live up to will. the first Brit. Yeah, the first Brit was a, is a Scottish guy whom I've known for a very long time, and having. I mean, everybody in the States here, as soon as they hear you speak, like, oh, you must know more because you have a British accent. <laughs> That's course. just how we roll. Like, oh. That's, That's how all British people are. But British look, accent. So look, I, I think about my life as 1.0 and 2.0. So at 1.0, I worked in finance for most of my career. I worked across investment banking. I was a structurer. I worked in products. Uh, I worked in private banking in terms of propositions and bringing these segments to market. And then, you know, lastly, I kind of worked in more the retail banking, which actually, funnily enough, is where the innovation has been in the past 10 years in banking. And I really kind of built and grew uh, our segment around high growth and entrepreneurs in terms of taking me into the world of innovation, startups, high growth, what we call in the UK and Europe scale up. So businesses that have product market fit and are looking uh, for growth and scale. That was 1.0, 2.0. I'm absolutely passionate about uh, innovation. I'm passionate about the science of how you do innovation well. I'm intrigued by corporate innovation and how to make it better. Uh, And I am uh, uh, in love with everything growth and opportunity in the future. Uh, And I also invest. So that's a little bit of an introduction to me. I mean, the the notion, as we said, you know, as we were talking before we got on, the notion of being out of the finance world, where we have a lot of innovative ideas that come out of finance and have been coming out of finance for, for decades, where we have this entire segment of fintech, we've got cryptocurrencies that are rolling down a whole different pathway. But I think the spot that's so intriguing to me is this inside outside view, which you've got this really um, distinct uh, point of view on because of the role that you played in a large organization, 
than being a part of innovation coming out of small organizations. So we're gonna start with this notion of the, of the open innovation corporate accelerator as an idea. And there's this trend that's going on. It's been going on for a long time where large organizations are building these open innovation platforms. They sometimes call them accelerators. They sometimes call them incubators, which aren't the same thing, but they have different um, nomenclature that they use. So let's just start with a definition from your perspective of what open innovation is within the corporate sector and what the value proposition is that starts to come out of those, um, those ideals. So it's, I mean, it's a good question. There's so many things there to unpack, which we will over time. I mean, but look, to me, open innovation is, uh, the premise has to be looking outside or in a collaborative way to come up with new products and services or technologies that by definition are sourced from outside of the organization. Uh, so to me, open innovation is probably the end goal that everyone was trying to get to uh, when we first started dabbling around with accelerators and incubators. Uh, but we kind of started with a kind of very naive approach, and we can talk a little bit about the history of, of, of accelerators and incubators. But to me, open innovation uh, requires transparency. It requires a very different mindset in terms of how you view the relationship. No longer a big, large corporate look at look at me. Uh, I must be um, I must be brilliant at what I do because I just happen to get a job in a big, large corporate. Uh, you have to kind of adopt a very different relationship mentality and approach to how you're viewing things. Um, so open innovation is transparent, you're sharing challenges, you're sharing opportunities, and you're really looking for um, that kind of handshake, that partnership uh, with outside centers of excellence, let's call them centers of excellence, uh, excellence or specialisms. Uh, that have something technology or an opportunity or a product or a service and so uh, they can really complement. Just to try to dig into that a little deeper, are you are you getting to the point that when you use the word transparency, are you literally sharing intellectual property as a startup or a scale up with a large corporate who's supporting the growth for that organization? Is that the level of transparency that you're talking about? Or are you in some other area of transparency? But I think when I'm talking about transparency, I'm talking more about from a corporate perspective. Ah, okay. So you're really sharing opportunity, access, and potentially strategic direction in terms of what you're trying to achieve as a firm. Um, so from the startup perspective, I probably would be more in the mentality of commercial opportunity and leapfrogging access uh, to new markets. That's how I would think about it. Uh, so for me, I, I was talking more from a, from a corporate perspective. So from the large organization out, this notion that an open innovation platform or an open innovation um, relationship is really about providing access to the infrastructure of the large corporation so that the smaller organization can take advantage of that in a way that's beneficial to them. Is that, is that a fair I description? I think there's an element of that, but actually, let, let me be challenging. I actually think it's about accelerating the corporate. Ah. Right, so let's flip it on its head. Let's, let's right. stop accelerators being about the startup. Right. Uh, you could consider this a, a, a very uh, interesting novel approach to how uh, you create new markets, new products and services and 
new ways in which you can uh, meet your customer expectations or, or even create new customers. Um, so I think if it's done well, it, it, it should be an opportunity for you to, uh, you know, the old saying is quicker, faster and better. It, it's a way to bring new products and services uh, to market, potentially quicker, faster and better than if you had to try and build it yourself. And that, 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 that's totally in line with this, this challenge that happens within large corporate, which is that the bigger companies get, the harder it is for them to move quickly. So you're basically connecting those dots together. Say, okay, we've got a group over here that can go fast. We've got a group over here that's, that needs to go fast. Marry those two together and it's mutually beneficial. I think that's right. I mean, big corporates are big, large systems by definition, they become focused on what's what's maintaining uh, the system. Uh, if you're trying to do innovation uh, in those environments, it's it's obviously challenging with all of the usual, um, you know, hurdles that you have to get past: sponsorship, budgets, annual budget cycles. Uh, you know, in my old uh, life, we had to deal with regulatory uh, requirements and regulatory changes. Um, you know, you've got you've, the organism is obsessed with with maintaining. Uh, trying to do anything new uh, obviously takes uh, uh, has its own set of challenges that we've talked about. So, open innovation is a potential way in which you can fast track or sidestep uh, sidestep some of those challenges. So, you've alluded to the your prior version of this, which you managed to pull one of these off in a very large financial institution, and and, and not just the largest financial institution, but a historic large financial institution. How, how did this become uh, possible within an organization? And how did this uh, emerge as an opportunity? And how did you sort of transform that from within the executive um, sort of platform that you had that you had to navigate? So look, I'm, I have to be humble. I, I like to say I was part of a coalition of the willing and I was... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't me uh, by myself. Sure. I mean, there was uh, there, there was a coalition of uh, immensely talented people, and and we'll talk about some of those success factors. Yeah. Um, but look, I think if I, I if I think about my my experience, um, what made the difference? So first of all, visionary leadership. You cannot overemphasize um, enough the importance of having leadership uh, at at my former um, uh, employment, who, who really uh, were eager to try new things. You know, um, I think, I like to think they, um, you know, we have a, um, um, uh, you know, comics in the UK that uh, they have a skit. There's uh, some quite famous co uh, comics and Matt Lucas is one of them. And they do the skit where they kind of put something in and, and the computer says no. So they are always told no. Uh, and their catchphrases, the computer says no. But having a leadership who, who kind of said, look, we've been trying all the same things, expecting a different answer. Uh, you know, that's a definition of madness to, right. to paraphrase Mr. Mr. Einstein. So, so look, you know, having a visionary leader who's saying, I'm not gonna just accept the computer says no and do everything that uh, we've done in the past and expect somehow a different answer. I think, uh, I think is one of the reasons why um, we achieve what we achieve. So having the right leadership, a willingness to try new things, a willingness to, you know, to 
accept that not everything may yield results. And dare I say it, a willingness to be slightly strategic, you know, to think in a time horizon that wasn't necessarily about the next year or even the next two years, uh, a, a kind of willingness to accept that they are stewards of an organization that was around before their leadership and will be around after their leadership and they needed to do the right thing for the organization, I think is one of the, um, one of the elements of success. Two, I think environmentally, <clears throat> you know, there was a, it, it's, it's probably no surprise to our listeners that, you know, finance was having a hard time probably around 10 years ago. Uh, reputationally, I think we were facing some quite significant headwinds. And for those of us in the industry, uh, it was probably a chance to, to rethink the purpose of, well, to fine tune the purpose of what we were trying to achieve uh, uh, from, from finance, you know, to attach it more directly to the importance of supporting the communities in which we serve, you know, job creation, mm. uh, you know, prosperity, the creation of prosperity, the creation of new things that were going to power economies. Uh, you know, it, it, it probably sounds weird for someone who thinks that banks just care about, you know, here's your checking account and your deposit account and here's a you know, debit card. You know, actually banking is or finance and the free flow of capital into growth and new job development is, you know, something that we're all quite passionate about in that industry. So I think, you know, the time 10 years ago, it was a good opportunity to try new things. We had the right leadership, uh, trying to find a way to really focus on connecting the bank to supporting growth and startups because that was so important in terms of job creation and economic development and national competitive advantage. I think there was just a couple of things that came together and allowed us to try some new things. And so on the... I think something that you just mentioned, which which is a critical component of this, is this distance between the vision of long-term strategic plays that allow an organization to make long bets that have higher risk, higher reward, versus this quarter by quarter, which the finance industry is, I would, uh, from my view, outside the finance industry, is the worst version of this problem, which is quarter over quarter results-based, financially driven, obviously. And that, that let, can, you just, can you just talk a little bit how, about how you navigated that? Because that feels like a problem in every large organization that we work with is this inherent tension and conflict between a long view, a long strategy that's gonna have some challenges along the way versus the near-term tactical activities that go on that hit quarterly numbers. So how did you, how did you navigate that problem area? So I think we we um, it's a we try we try different approaches and if I'm if I'm honest in my experience uh, I don't think I've yet seen the approach that works uh, optimally um, and, and there's probably a shelf life for all of these things but yeah. look I think the first thing is to recognise that there is a difference in horizons right and if you're a really savvy leader in in one of these organisations you need to protect horizon one, the tactical. You need to organize your assets and your resources and your investment to ensure that you continue to protect uh, that horizon 
and your core business. So then, as you just alluded to, how do you create innovation? How do you start to move towards creating, I guess, the space and the freedom to allow uh, innovation to happen? Um, and, and, you know, my advice there would be not to go straight for a horizon three. Don't go for a 10-year view, potentially. Right. You know, try and think about how you organize uh, and apply budget that is separate from the core. And you can use like really practical ways of doing that. You can just take a haircut on business unit budgets before you give them to them uh, right. and take that money out and put it to one side and just take it out of the uh, political infighting that happens over the budget process. Right. Um, and say, look, I'm going to basically, uh, you know, put that budget aside. I'm going to concentrate probably on a horizon two, call it a two to five year horizon. Uh, and try and basically organize uh, the business so you can have a, a chance to achieve some innovation. Now, there's lots of lessons there to be learned over time. Like, how do you maintain and build the links with the business units or the people that have the, the P&L today? But, you know, we can, we can discuss that as, as we go forward. But first of all, I think proactively organize budget uh, separate the budget so you're not, uh, you know, bringing them into conflict. Um, don't do too ambitious a time horizon. And also don't necessarily expect to change the entire organization in terms of their performance culture. Maintain that. Just recognize that that is equally as important. But try and use your positioning, your leadership to, to, to ensure that you're also prioritizing an organization that can deliver on the horizon too. And it sounds like the, the 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 operative word here is balance, right? There's balance yeah. between an existing organization that has to make its quarterly numbers in order to drive revenue and profit and shareholder value. And then you have these experiments that go on as a as a project that have a longer time horizon and you have to balance between those or else you're going to drive too far to the left or too far to the right, which seems like that should be very obvious. But you and I both know in the in the challenges that we've shared over over the last you know six to twelve months how you're always having that conversation. So what what are you using? What tools are you using then to determine success in these types of engagements where you have an internal open innovation or an accelerator program that's being run through a big organization and you're trying to to to, I don't even want to use the word validate, but drive success as a metric. Uh, how, do you go, how do you go about doing that? What, what do you use? Let me, let me just delve slightly into the history of accelerators to show how the thinking has evolved. Yes, please. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, if I look back on my own experience, when we first started dabbling with this concept of an accelerator, um, we probably did it reasonably naively you know, uh, for, for a whole host of different reasons. So one, I think we were just so overwhelmed by the sexiness of startup land that, you know, just getting a startup into the building was like almost success in itself. You know, right. it was just like, we're hanging out with the cool kids, you know, we're, we're you know, we're, we're in a warehouse. It doesn't look anything like a big corporate There's environment. There's a foosball table in the corner, isn't yeah. there? And that's What it. do you mean they're not wearing suits? I mean, this is crazy, uh, right? Yeah. Um, so um, I sort of I forget that, that was... in banking, that's like an actual big deal. Like you it walked in an no, office I mean, and I they're not in suits. Huge, it was a huge, and you can't 
under yeah you can't underestimate how much of a cultural change that was yeah. um so i think it was you know first off you know we, we we published rough areas we invited some applications in you have to remember that um you know um uh, it, it's a you know people are out for the best outcomes on both sides right. you know so uh you know startups aren't saintly also they're they're in there to, to kind of get a return in terms of their investment but i think if i look back on it what i'm trying to say is just the definition of being in the same room and listening to these ultimate kind of you know the cult of the entrepreneur standing in front of you talking about the amazing technology it doesn't matter whether they, whether they could execute on it or whether there was you know substance on the technology it was just it was just the 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 kind of coolness factor if, if i want to call it that i think people were slightly in love with the coolness factor at the beginning over time what's been really interesting is the whole concept of success has moved on from that right so if you look at today and 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 really what 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 the best programs are focused on or how they're measuring success is first and foremost they have a far better understanding of their corporate direction and the areas of innovation that matter to the business and that's been as a result of the maturity of the product guys uh, the existing core businesses becoming much more familiar with how you deal or how you kind of interact with the outside innovation world the ecosystem the startup ecosystem but there's now a clear prioritization and focus that happens in terms of saying, actually, we want targeted innovation. Let's call it targeted open innovation, right? right? So it's not just about hanging out anymore. It's not just about seeing who rocks up and having kind of, um, you know, blue ribbons, beers, packs, you know, beers and everyone wearing a beard. You know, now it's a little bit more sophisticated in terms of saying, actually there's some areas now that we really do want to focus on how we can collaborate and let's be targeted about it so so first and foremost i think success is now more aligned to corporate objectives right. than it was uh, maybe previously secondly everyone has matured and learned right no longer i think if you're really savvy kind of corporate are you doing accelerators just to hang out with you know startups because startups are cool it's not a brand play it's no longer a brand play yeah, just it's to no have longer an a marketing play right, right. you've recognized that actually uh, not every startup succeeds right which, which which sounds so silly but you know if i think back in the day you know we all just thought these guys are all going to become unicorns right, right. now right. now we're a lot more savvier about well do they have a product market fit? What stage of growth are they in, right? Have they got investment? Do they have patents in terms of technology that they actually have a product around? Um, are they just repurposing someone else's products and service in a, in a kind of thin layer of customer experience and then presenting it as a new proposition? Uh, you know, what's the background of the individuals have they been successful have they failed right are they serial entrepreneurs because you know experience is exactly what we're looking for but probably most importantly you're looking for a maturity of the startup that they're really ready for the full 
full fat experience of dealing with the big corporate, right? right. The joys of having to interact with bureaucracy that they never <laughs> wanted to deal with, right? You're looking for that company that has the, the ability to be successful for that, on that. And that leads to the point of the KPI, which is now it must be about which products come to market. Right. And therefore, what the commercial win-win is going to be in terms of your partnership with, with uh, uh, the startup or the scale-up, as we would call them. So I think you, know, you move from marketing and hanging out with cool kids to alignment with really clear corporate objectives with a selection process that is optimized to deliver actual the ability, you know, the ability to actually do a commercial partnership with an organization that's ready for it. Of course, they're still early stage. I mean, they're not, you know, 500 year old institutions, right? Or, or but 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 you know, it's about giving it the best possible shot. Right. And then you know, you can also look at other ancillary benefits such as you know, the ability of the startups that you deal with to get further funding. You could potentially even explore venture uh, in terms of corporate venturing. You can look at also how many colleagues interact with that and how it's changing your internal culture as a corporation. But I think the KPIs now are, are far more strategic and far more collaborative and have matured just as the industry has got better. It's funny to hear you, sorry. So last night I had a meeting with a, a small venture fund on a separate topic. But hearing you go through that list, you sound very much like a venture capitalist when you say those words, right? Like the way that a, an accelerator is evaluating or an open innovation um, uh, corporate accelerator is evaluating opportunities starts to sound like a VC when you use those terms versus a brand play, a marketing opportunity, uh, a way to start to change the internal culture of an organization is those being KPIs versus, hey, we'd like to kind of make some money doing this and we'd like to make some money in some strategic ways. And we see a, a, an accelerator as an opportunity to make money for the core and potentially for the startup, which is, um, it sounds really obvious. Like when you, after you've said it, it's like, well, yeah, shouldn't everybody think of it that way? But I know that that's not historically how these were treated. And-, oh, and yeah, I mean, thank you for saying it. My um, my corporate finance professor uh, will be so pleased with me because I'm talking about value exchange. Yeah, and it's all about value, I and mean, that's yeah. what you've got to remember. Um, and that's know, a two way street, right? And I think that in some 100%. cases, you know, in the in the little bits that you and I've been involved in in open innovation platforms together, that two way street is something that I feel like we're talking about all the time, saying like this has to be valuable to both parties, or it's not valuable to anybody. And if you can't figure out how to make it valuable to both parties, then that's a that's a great KPI to put in there to go. Okay, no, you're you're not a part of this. Correct. Can you can you talk a little bit about the role of so so a, a couple of episodes ago, I had the the head of strategy for Bose on, and he made this really clarifying statement to me that I kind of hadn't heard articulated in this way, which is when I was asking about the role of strategy because you've mentioned strategy over and over and over again in this whole conversation. When he mentioned the role of strategy, the first role that he described was strategy is the reason you get to say no. Like that was his mandate. It's like, 
Um, we build a strategy so that you can say no. So can you just talk a little bit about like your experiential relationship between running one of these accelerators for a large organization and the, and the relationship that you had with the strategy team? Because it sounds to me like that started to play a more influential and influential role as you matured through this process. Um, so I think, I think my experience is that I think strategy should be in every, every employee's, um, employee's kind of toolkit, right? right. But, but, but the absence of clear vision in big, large corporates is probably what, what, what uh, slightly drives everyone bonkers, right? Yes, um, right. Yeah. Uh, to use that technical term, bonkers for, for our friends is uh, crazy, obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but look, um, uh, I, I am obsessed with, uh, it, it's probably my flaw, but I am obsessed with trying to understand where are we, I, I need to understand big picture and little picture at the same time. Uh, and I'm obsessed about, you know, value creation that I've talked about. And I love, and I'm obsessed about uh, making sure that we are pro that, that, that there's progress that can happen, right. and and for me to do that, I have to be strategic in understanding where do I see the greatest opportunity, uh, where do I see the gaps in the current proposition, uh, where do I see um, potential route to markets in terms of known knowns, but but arguably un unknown unknowns or, or areas that, that, that could become uh, uh, opportunities in the future. And also I spend a lot of time trying to free my, I mean, this is very personal, but I have, I've tried so hard to free myself from being constrained by what I think my business is, right? Uh, uh, because I, I think, if you have the right proposition, you're meeting the right customer need, whether they're aware of that yet or not. It gives you the license to develop the proposition to unlock new value uh, in the future. So I'm, I'm very obsessed by trying to understand all of those things to allow me to do my job in terms of sourcing innovation or thinking about innovation in new ways that will create that value. Um, so I think strategy is really important, but not strategy in the sense of you need to achieve the following EBIT, you know, you right. need to achieve the following performance return over the next year. You need to keep the business safe. I mean, these are all givens, right? These are yeah. all things that you have to do. But, but what intrigues me is that, um, you know, where are we trying to head to? How are we going to evolve the proposition? Where is value that maybe we don't quite understand how to unlock today, but we want to kind of move towards that? And how do we do that in the most cost-effective uh, way in terms of innovation, in terms of trying and experimenting that doesn't destabilize the existing business that we already have today? Right. And that's where I think you end up if you if you kind of go down that path where you have to try and think in in a kind of more entrepreneurial way about how you unlock uh, that opportunity going forward so open innovation starts to make sense i'm glad i'm glad you use that word because i think this is this is one of those topics that you and i've sort of kicked around in the past where this idea of an entrepreneurial process versus an entrepreneurial process and how those get a bit 
confused depending on the audience. Yeah, I and, think we we joke a lot, don't we? I mean, uh, lots of organizations, big corporates. I mean, I know we're obsessing about the big corporates at the moment. We'll move on, but big corporates say they love to be entrepreneurial. They don't. Why would they want to be entrepreneurial? Because that implies uh, people who leave an organization and start a new organization. Right. Uh, so you know, um, I think entrepreneurial is a better is a better term for big large corporates. They need to take the same skills. The people who uh, say understand the science of innovation, say by applying uh, a clear understanding of their target customers, the ability to do data analytics on 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 the opportunity or the needs of those customers. To complement that with subjective analysis, interview te techniques, research techniques to really unlock what's important to that customer base. Uh, and then to go from that in terms of the science of prioritization of where you play, right? right. Where is the greatest need where you have the, you know, the ability to maybe uh, create the proposition uh, that can have the greatest market opportunity going forward? And then how do you then build a proposition, test it, you know, in terms of minimum viable proposition and then grow it and scale it? And how do you do all of those things in a coordinated way? Those are all kind of in the toolkit of an entrepreneur, but apply them in a big, large corporate. I, I would call them an entrepreneur. Yeah. So and that, I think yeah. That, yeah. And that, that, that all those skills that you just described, which are entrepreneurial skills, have to get overlaid with the ability to navigate a complex system that is a large organization, which comes with politics, which comes with conflict, which com comes with um, resistance that an entrepreneur maybe doesn't necessarily have because they get to strike their own path a little, a little bit more. But the upside is you have a massive machine. If it works, it works enormously. Yeah, and, and again, to paraphrase, I think Mr. Bezos, um, you know, who said it very eloquently, right? As an entrepreneur, you have the luxury of just getting one VC to say yes. Yeah. In a big organization, you, you, you don't have that luxury. You no. have to get 20 people to say yes. So uh, actually, I think uh, entrepreneurs are the real heroes of, of the modern day world. <laughs> it's, well, you, you, take, you take that, you take that complexity. Uh, I yeah, mean, yeah. it is it is very challenging. It demands resilience. It demands uh, the ultimate in storytelling to make it relevant uh, to, to to that diverse audience. Uh, it 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 requires almost a sixth sense in knowing how to navigate politics. Uh, Good one. Uh, and it requires a real, uh, you know, a desire almost, uh, I mean, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but it almost is a desire to sacrifice some of the easy career wins right? for the sake of actual belief and passion for what you're trying to do. And, and those are rare commodities, I think. Uh, but, but, you know, when you see them, I, I'd encourage any listener here who's in charge of an organization to value them and, and, and recognize them. They're not necessarily the people sitting at the table shouting the loudest. They're invariably the people off uh, achieving things yeah that's a that's a that's an interesting sort of tidbit because i think those people are oftentimes either under recognized or sh somewhat shunned within an organization depending on how they navigate their path in a larger organization where they're trying to make change and depending on how they deliver that change mandate they have varying degrees of success or firedness. 
yeah. and, and that's that's a you know as a as somebody who's leading one of these organizations to be able to spot those people and then nurture them and understand that they have different needs than the rest of the organization is a is a trade unto itself and yeah. i've seen that in executives where they've seen those people and they go hey okay that person's trying to do something different and i'm not just going to push them aside i'm going to enable them and i'm not going to fire them immediately when something goes wrong because yeah. something will go wrong lots of things will go wrong Absolutely. and and that's that's a that's an interesting that's an interesting statement okay so so as we as we look at these platforms now we have them in organizations all over the globe we've got they've become i would argue they have started to push into trendy where we've got uh companies of all shapes and sizes building, whether you want to call them open innovation platforms, corporate accelerators, corporate incubators, uh, corporate partnership programs with startups, everybody's trying to capture some uh, component of this, of this emerging, well, which has been around for a long time, but this, this uh, rapidly changing and quickly evolving uh, small business as it can influence a large business. Give us a sense of where you see this heading over say the next three to five years from the corporate side? Like what's in the mindset of a, of a large organization and why are they gonna, how are they gonna evolve these, these programs over time? So uh, I, think the, I think the trend to attach it more to corporate objectives will continue. I think the trend to um, adjust the time horizon so they can deliver value in a, in a time period that a big large corporate can can recognize it so so as i said two to five years i think is really the sweet spot um uh, for a big large organization i think that will continue i think um corporates will you know the value of a corporate is its distribution network right right the value of a startup is arguably it's innovational product and service and its agility but what it doesn't have is necessarily that route to market so i think the best programs will find a way to to take to take the value propositions of both sides and and meld them together uh in a way that that is win-win right uh, i'm a huge believer in win-win um i don't necessarily think it's just about you know acquisition or or merge um, so I think I think if I if I'm a startup and I've got a novel technology or I've got product market fit and I'm looking for growth and scale, the best programs or the programs that I'd be most interested in are the ones that would offer me the ability to access uh, a distribution or a market that would take me a year or two years to to create, um, and one that had the uh, the the demonstrable track record of collaboration and partnerships. Right? It's also um, um, it sounds like the way that you're describing this. It's like there's two research paths. There's a research path coming up from the company that's being that's entering that's that that scale up or, or or accelerator program, and then there's research coming down from the large organization into the small company, and those really need to match. It's almost like you're applying for a job. It's just yeah. you're applying for a job within a large organization and you are an organization. Yeah. And 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 I don't know that everybody takes that level of, you know, I, I've been involved in startups. I've 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 built two myself. 
And there's a risk, well, there's a danger in just somebody handing you money and you saying, I need money, thank you. And somebody handing you an opportunity like this saying, I need distribution, thank you. And not really taking the time to think, is this the right place for me to be as an organization based on my strategic plan? Yeah, I think that's, I mean, look, uh, you're talking to someone who's um, failed at, at the only two startups he's ever, he's ever proud, <laughs> tried as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if anyone talks to you about it just being about money and investment and access to cash, I mean, funding, I, we, we really took the view that there was so much money out there that that's not necessarily what startups need. Um, right. What they actually need is the, the business model, the skills, and arguably the route to market to customers and access that's gonna make the difference to their growth. Um, uh, so I think large corporates have that. Yeah. Uh, and I also think large corporates um, are facing challenges themselves in terms of P&L, culture, infrastructure. Um, that 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 arguably mean that inventing in-house is just so complicated and takes such a long uh, uh, time that maybe innovation has to happen through a more collaborative partnership and open approach and a more platform level thinking if that make if you think about it um so i think um i think the future has to be about how do you how do you make these how, how do you how do you almost create these platforms that allow access to come up, uh, customers to be continued to be protected by the corporate and you know to be to be the gateways but but you're sourcing innovation and you're spreading the opportunity by by partnering with the best in the market in terms of what they're doing and you know trying to find a way to to fast cut that uh you know fast track that is probably what what the best platforms will be doing so so that's the that's an excellent segue to just dip a little bit into the program that you and I are both involved in, that you're more heavily involved in than I am. Um, so why don't you give us a little summary on Sixth Sense, what that what that um, opportunity is, and, and sort of how you see the evolution of, of that program, because most of the people listening are not going to know what Sixth Sense is. So let's give them a synopsis of what that is, and then sort of how you see that evolving over the coming months, quarters, I don't know that we need to go out years because it's still in early days. So look, Sixth Sense is a visionary um, uh, platform uh, from Hexagon. And Hexagon is a company that I knew nothing about until, until I was uh, fortunate enough to be introduced um, uh, to their visionary leadership. Look, um, Hexagon, is a, for those who don't know it, who are listening, Hexagon is a company that uh, um, is is my dad loves them they're full of engineers they they make things they make real world stuff right <laughs> he's so proud of me he can actually talk to me now he's going you're no longer a banker you're now working in the real world the real world um, real stuff hexagon uh is a b2b business uh they're a swedish corporate uh they uh provide the technologies that go in that manufacture and go into the uh, development of nearly everything that we use in the world. You know, the stats are staggering. It's something like 90% of air, all aircraft, you know, 85% of all uh, cars and 
80%, I'm probably getting the stats wrong, but the smartphones, you know, everything that we use and you see around you invariably will have been made or manufactured with some form of hexagon technology in its development. So it's an incredible company, privileged, I would say, in its position of really being able to impact the physical and, and the kind of manufactured world that you see around us. And as a result, they hold the keys to the solutions uh, that the world's going to need as we have to deal with climate change, scarce resources, uh, growth, population growth, uh, uh, and the needs of the future world. So an incredible company. Now, what's Sixth Sense? Well, Sixth Sense is really their, um, their desire or their openness to collaboration with uh, people who have innovations or products and services uh, that may uh, complement and form part of their offering uh, in terms of uh, uh, supporting uh, smart manufacturing into the future. So it, it's squarely focused at those businesses that have product market fit that are really looking for growth and distribution. And the platform itself is simple. It's built on three principles that I want all of you to, to listen to and, and kind of be aware of. Uh, this is how it works. One, apply, but then one, prove your technology and how it fits to Hexagon. So call it the proof of technology phase, right? That can be your product and service, but you are responding to a challenge that Hexagon has set in terms of areas of innovation that are important to its corporate strategy show how this product or service can uh, meet that challenge and transform their offering. So the first part of the platform is prove your technology and work with Hexagon to really understand how it can fit. Secondly, prove the win-win, prove the value, right? You're gonna build potentially a commercial partnership with Hexagon. So look at the route to distribution, market size the opportunity, develop the business plan for how this partnership could work. So the second element is prove the value uh, together with Hexagon. Thirdly, your ultimate storytellers, you've got to demo that. You've got to demo how the technology or products and service fits, and you've got to demo the opportunity uh, that is win-win to both you and Hexagon. And if you are lucky enough to be one of the selective winners at the end of the platform, you're going to win a global distribution agreement with Hexagon. Which global is global, like actually global. It's well, Hexagon now global, as you know. Yeah, so, and 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 service industries across. So, so Success is an amazing platform. I think it's built on the right focus, right? Great. But as I said to the listeners, it, it's got three elements to how it works. One, you prove your technology. Two, you prove your business model. Three, you demo that in terms of the final event. And then you get the opportunity, hopefully, if you win, uh, to build that global partnership and distribution model uh, pretty... agreement with, with Hexagon. So I think it, it talk, it's talked a lot about, or it's kind of hitting all the themes that we've talked about, which is it's no longer about, you know, not getting a win-win situation. It's no longer about the, the theater or the marketing. Of, of being a startup and working with cool kids is actually a business proposition that they're offering. And I, I would say a, a, an opportunity to scale your business that's arguably as easy as one, two, three. So uh, there you go. <laughs> well, that's, uh, 
that's that's a nice ramp down from this entire 48 whatever it is minutes because i feel like it grounds this into something tangible where these tend to feel quite lofty to a lot of people about where they're going and why they'd be involved but bringing this down to the to the to the idea that if you apply and you are selected you are walked into a distribution network period the end and that distribution network for for organizations that have a technology or have a solution that they believe is going to change the world, the component of which usually um, takes the longest, the most money, and is the most challenging to build is that distribution. And it takes decades and, and, and tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars to build it. And if you're able to get walked in the door to all of these various companies that are in your, in your landscape as a result of winning one of these competitions, like that feels like the ultimate payout. 100%. Well, this has been great and fascinating. And once again, I've learned uh, things I didn't know about you, about how all of these worked. It was uh, super interesting to kind of hear that, that little history lesson about how these have evolved over time because I really wasn't paying attention to corporate accelerators in 2012, 13, 14. Like they were, they were pretty far from my mind as were for a lot of people. And to, to sort of hear, other than Google X, which is the one that everybody sort of puts on high, right? But even that, if, you, if you've studied it, it has also quite significantly evolved over time. And um, so that was, that was excellent. And I'm really glad we were able to pull this together. Loved it. Thank you so much for having me, Justin. Yeah, it's been great for... fun. I've learned loads as well. So thank, thank you very much. Thanks for, thanks for coming on.